Hey guys, Pastor Eric here. Before we start this episode, I do want to fill you in on a couple of things. We recorded this episode earlier this week, and since then, we have discovered that because of close contact, our staff needs to be quarantined, which means this episode does not reflect the reality of the Thursday that it is published on. So we are together, Ben and I, and we are talking, uh, but we are now in quarantine away from each other and away from the rest of the staff. So I just wanted to let you know that that's the reality. Also, this weekend, we uh, are going to be having some differences in our worship services. At this point, the leadership team has not met and made those decisions yet. So just know that the conversation here about the weekend does not reflect uh, what might actually be happening this weekend. So please check your emails or the website for more information about worship services this weekend. Thanks, guys, for listening in. Okay, class. Today we're going to start with the basics. Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where New Life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. I'm Pastor Eric and with me is Pastor Ben. How are you doing, Pastor Ben? I'm doing great. And with the wonders of technology, we have Tim. Welcome, Tim. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so the you're going to notice the audio quality is going to be down a little bit for Tim. That's because he's uh, coming to us through Zoom. I will say I sound worse on the audio than I actually feel. Okay. All right. Well, today we are going to uh, answer another question uh, that I know many of you have, a uh, question that I know many of you have thought of. And again, these are going to be in conjunction with our sermons a little bit. So this weekend, we actually looked at a text from Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 13, about the mark of the beast. And uh, I preached this weekend. And really what we discovered was that the mark of the beast is not necessarily something physical, but it's actually an mm-hmm. allegiance that people pledge to uh, the beast who represents the horrible things that people do to each other in order to gain power. So mm-hmm. we, we heard that it's more connected to the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy 6 rather than some sort of physical mark that we might or may not, may not have. There was a little bit of pushback. Uh, from some people uh, because of that sermon. And so what I wanted to do is this week, I wanted to actually explore the uh, the end times because that's really what we're talking about when we talk about the revelation. Uh, there's a lot, there's this idea, especially in, in the United States and in the Americas that um, the end times is a very specific uh, way that it's going to unfold. And that revelation shows us how that end times is going to unfold. So, that's what we're going to do today. We're talking about the end of the world as we know it, um, and we're answering the question, what will the end of the world be like? What will it be like? So the first thing I want to do, kind of what we've been doing here, is exploring how people think about the end of the world, and then looking at that through the lens of Scripture and also through the lens of our Lutheran tradition and kind of having a dialogue with that. Um, so Pastor Ben, you being kind of the resident historical expert, um, I just kind of want to hear from you. What are some of the major ways people think about the end of the world? And maybe what's what's the major way that Americans think about the end of the world? Yeah, I mean, if you go to a seminary, maybe went to a Bible college, you're probably taught uh, all three. There's kind of three general kind of eschatology. That's the end of the study of end times. 
perspectives that are taught in colleges. And then depending on the stream of Christianity that you were a part of, they probably pushed one or the other. And so obviously this is not the catch all. This is kind of just the big pillars and, and people kind of land in different hybrids and things like that. But you'd, you would probably land in, in one form of thought, which would be premillennialism, which is the idea simply that, that Jesus comes back and then he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. So that would be premillennial. So uh, all of this, you're going to see the similar language of a millennium, thousand years. And so that would be one thing taught. If you went to a Baptist church or a Baptist college, that was probably the one taught. And in evangelical circles in the United States, that's the primary one that has really caught steam. It's uh, Pastor Eric alluded to this on Sunday. It's actually a fairly new concept. And it was brought into vogue by a man named John Darby. And so it caught uh, an incredible stream of popularity in America. That's actually not true around the world. But uh, if you are listening and you're American, you kind of know how that goes. We kind of tend to think everyone thinks and feels like we do. And uh, we can kind of create our own little echo chamber. Now, there's there's a different one. That would be called post-millennialism. And this one basically has run out of gas. If the other one is gain steam, this one has essentially run out of gas. And that's the idea that life is just going to get better and better and better and better and better. And Christ essentially will spiritually reign over the earth with a thousand years being just an extended period of time. And, And so the reason that's lost steam is because as you can see, if you look around, you know the world is not getting better. And uh, so obviously that one becomes faulty on its face really quickly just by general observation of life. Now there's another one, and this is where Lutheranism would typically land. It's called uh, amillennialism or amillennialism. And that's simply the idea of there's no, there's no millennial reign. In other words, when Jesus comes back, that's it. That's the end. And uh, then the new creation comes. And then he begins the forever reign. And so those are the three big peaks. Now, people get into some other weeds mm-hmm. and, and have conversations like that. But but those are the three big, three big kind of areas where people lean. And um, so, like I said, if you grew up in a Baptist stream or if you turn on a typical Christian network and they're talking about the end times, that's the premillennial thought. And to take that a little bit further, just so you guys know what we're talking about, you've probably heard of these things, is there's another stream called premillennial dispensationalism. And and honestly, that's the big American push. Mm -hmm. And that idea goes another layer deep, too, which is saying that the church is different than Israel. So these are two different things saved by two different means. Uh, This is a a teaching that I, I believe is patently false. And, and counter to, to Bible to the Bible, which is why I would call it patently false. It's not accurate to Scripture. Now, a lot of people are listening; they might not see it that way. Yeah. But from front to back, and we're going to actually talk about this on Sunday. We are we are saved by grace through faith, from front to back, from the earliest people to the people to today, to even the people who are living on an island. And right now you're thinking, how does that make sense? Well, if you're wondering, you guys show up on Sunday, whether it's in person or, or live. So 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11 a.m. There you go. Sunday. Depending on what kind of music you want, you got to come to a different time slot to get uh, 
what you prefer, but the message will be the same. The difference will be I'll either be wearing khakis and a shirt or I'll be wearing my Snuggie for the other services. <laughs> Back to what we're talking about. We're talking about the end times. And uh, those are the three big pillars. That's what people talk about. Like I said, if you go onto the Christian radio station, you'll hear all sorts of people making predictions about the end, especially, 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 especially if you are in the pre-millennial camp, because now you've got a lot of things to predict. And uh, it's a hot seller. Man, people sell a lot of books in that regard. And so I think for some teachers, that's very attractive. It's an attractive way to make some money. It's an attractive way to get your name out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe that most of them, it's not like they're trying to be deceptive or anti-intellectual or anti-biblical. I, I think they're doing what they think is best. Um, but from a Lutheran perspective, we don't go in that direction, which is why you're not going to hear us talk about the end right. times too much because we do live in that all-millennial camp, the no-millennium. Uh, when it's done, it's done. And and then Jesus will reign uh, in the new creation and then the new heavens and the new earth. So those are kind of the, the big three that are out there. And we'll just see where yeah, the conversation it, it's goes. Probably the, for those of you out there, if you've given much thought to the end times or if you've heard teaching about the end times or if you've read books or watched movies about the end times, probably what you've been influenced by um, is a set of movies called Left Behind, which they're books. They were books first. Um, and it was a series of books and then a, several movies uh, that are about the end of the world. They're kind of like disaster movies. And those books and movies are from that premillennial dispensationalist view. That's what those movies have. And so we'll get more into uh, maybe some critique or some dialogue with that of view. But first of all, I know growing up in my Methodist church that I grew up in, we as a youth group, we watched the Left Behind movies. Like we, that's, that's how we were taught uh, what the end of the world was going to be like. And so I guess I just want to ask you guys. Um, I personally played the Left Behind movies in youth groups. You, <laughs> no, no, I have not. <laughs> Weren't you in the Left Behind kidding. movies, Tim? I have not done that. <laughs> no, so I'm just wondering to you guys, you know, how did, when you were taught about the end times growing up, how are you taught them? Like what, what was some of the big images or ideas that you had of the end times that you guys were growing as you guys were growing up? Yeah. Before you guys were around, I was, I was around. (laughs) around. That sounds, that sounds uh, way more sacrilegious than intended, but, uh, being older than you guys before, before before Tim and Eric, I I I was there. (laughs) The, uh, before you guys, before the left behind series came out by Timothy LaHaye, and his cohort, and, and those books were popularized, and they were made into some, unfortunately, oh, man, those poorly movies made movies. Which those movies are terrible. They didn't even get through all the books because the movies weren't very good. The, the bottom line is those, those books, and I've read all of them, the books are very interesting. That doesn't mean they're biblical. It just means they're in, it's interesting work of, of fiction. And, and what has happened is we've taken a work of fiction, and we kind of made it into a, a prognostication of the future. That's where we run into issues. But before the Left Behind series, there was other things, other other movies that came out in like the 70s that I was actually steeped in. That doesn't mean I was born in the 70s or lived in the 70s, but those movies were from there. 
like, and they were called like the Thief in the Night, and they were all the same kind of concept. Because wow. that's when that stuff was really picking up steam. Yes. You put those movies out there, people are digesting the movies, and and stories have the power to shape lives. And so that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And so that was that that uh, premillennial dispensational. And, and so for me, it was it was that idea of Jesus shows up. It's a secret coming. Um, all the Christians go away. The people who are left here don't have a relationship with Jesus. Instantly, some people get freaked out, and they're like, oh, man, we screwed up because my brother disappeared, and and he's a Christian, and so now I'm going to become a Christian. And there's this kind of remnant now of those who have had a conversion experience where they've turned their life over to Christ after what they call the rapture. Now, the term rapture, that's a totally different thing. A totally different thing. And we'll talk about that yeah. probably later. But that's the idea. They're left behind, and for seven years now, or three and a half years, depending on how it all goes, there's there's a seven years where basically Satan is horrible. going crazy on the earth, and all this crazy stuff is happening, and there's diseases and plagues and war, and this is where the mark of the beast comes in. And if you get the mark of the beast, then you're you're damned forever, you know, stuff like that, which is kind of what Pastor Eric was leaning into on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Is the mark... You know, when I was younger, it was a barcode. Yeah. Barcodes were the mm-hmm. latest technology. And so that was, people were nervous about that. People wrote books about the barcodes. Now in our modern day, it's microchips. Mm-hmm. And now it's micro microchips that are inside in the vaccine. vaccines and stuff. <laughs> yeah. The Bill Gates. Yeah. He wants to put microchips in all of ours. And so once, of once this was Elon kind of, Musk, yeah. Elon Musk, yeah. Yeah, once this thing was popular, every generation makes new predictions. They sell new books. And then those books fall flat on their face because they don't come true. There's predictions of Jesus coming back. And this happens about every 10 years. Someone writes yeah. a book about the 15 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2015. People put up billboards. People sell their houses. People cash out their stocks. Uh, this teacher fails. And guess what happens? He doubles down and writes a new book for 2020, mm-hmm. 2025. And so there's, there's all these predictions. And after the seven years in the Left Behind series... Then Jesus comes back, stomps out Satan, reigns on the earth with a rebuilt temple priest and sacrifice for a thousand years, which, of course, doesn't make any sense. Yes. Because why are we sacrificing animals again when the perfect sacrifice is sitting on a throne on earth? But that's that's a whole other faulty, faulty issue there. But that's that's what I was raised in and steeped in. That's kind of the the American eschatology in essence and and anything that kind of flies in the face of that is, is scandalous in America. It's kind of scandalous in in Christian circles within America, but outside our boundaries, Mm -hmm. it would be abnormal to think the way that we kind of think, at least Mm. how we generally think. Now, of course, at this point in time in my life, even though I was steeped in that and really bought into that, um, I, I find little biblical yeah. truth in correlation right. with that, which of course is why I'm in a Lutheran church and not like in a Southern Baptist church at this point in time in my life because of how God is revealing scripture to me. Mm-hmm. Now this does not mean, now, to be clear, this does not mean that those who think this way are bad or evil people. It just means that they're understanding it in a different way because once again we've said a thousand times on our podcast in church is we are finite human beings seeking after an infinite God and so of course we're going to disagree 
of course, at the end, he's going to show it to us and clarify it. And we're all going to feel silly. And he's still going to bring his children home from uh, no matter what kind of T-shirt they're wearing, whether it says Harvest Time Bible or uh, New Life Lutheran or whatever other church might be mm-hmm. a part of that. Right. So so we kind of we take this with some humility. But with that humility being said, of course, we're right. So, <laughs> so all, right, all right, Tim, how about you? What was kind of yeah. your, your, upbringing? yeah. So, um, for whatever reason, the number seven always freaked me out because it was, uh, it's so often referred to in revelation. Yeah. And so I, even to this day, I have a weird phobia of seven. Um, and mm-hmm. so like, you know, you heard the joke why I six afraid of seven. Cause I, I really lived that out because I was <laughs> kind of terrified of the number seven. Um, and then, you know, along with, the mark of the beast, six, 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 all those things. Um, I, uh, I, I really kind of bought into it cause my dad is more of the, he's a missionary Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, and then, um, also like the word revelation is actually Greek for apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that's where we all get that, we get the term apocalypse from it's like apocalypse now. And I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, when really when it when it boils down to it, um, reading and having being told as a child what to think about Revelation, I was always just nervous about it. You know, I was always nervous about the rapture. You know, what if I'm not really saved? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I need to get baptized because that that saves you. Things of that nature. So, um, really, the more the older I get, the more I actually read into it and do research into it. Like the better off I actually feel in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because the big thing that when we look at this this view of the end of the world, which I'm guessing, if you are a longtime devoted Christian, you are familiar with, if not actually like ascribed to it. Like that's how that is how prevalent it is. This kind of left behind style of uh, eschatology, which is the study the study of the end times. And where this whole, like, all these weird little nuances or intricacies come from is from the book of Revelation. Where people have read the book of Revelation and they've read it uh, as if it were a code that needs to be decoded. And that's where they start getting these ideas of, okay, Jesus is going to return or, or no, there's going to be a rapture and all the, all the Christians are going to leave the world. And then there's going to be a seven-year reign where the devil reigns, the Antichrist reigns. And then there's going to, Jesus is going to come back, defeat the Antichrist, and he's going to reign for a thousand years. And then it's going to be the final end of the world. That's a particular reading of the book of Revelation. So we are going to spend some time talking about Revelation um, because that's where we get a lot of our ideas about the end of the world. There's a few times in, in some of the other New Testament writings, uh, but really Revelation is the big one when we talk about the end of the world. So we do want to pull that in for sure. And as you mentioned, Tim, that uh, the the word revelation is the word, the Greek word apocalypse. So you probably have heard that word, you know, apocalyptic. You probably associate that with the end of the world or the end times. Uh, but apocalypse actually just literally means uh, an opening up or an unveiling. So revelation is actually a pretty good word for apocalypse because it's you're revealing something that you couldn't see before. So as we enter into Revelation, I want to kind of give us some ground 
some groundwork that we can think about Revelation with. Uh, there's this great chart. I can't remember who created this this chart. Um, and maybe I'll maybe I'll look for it and post a link. Um, I'll post I'll post a link to the in the description of this podcast to this chart. I'll find it somewhere and, and post it. Um, but there's a great chart that somebody I can't remember what his name is um, that he drew up that kind of explained the main ways of reading Revelation. Uh, and it's a, it's a chart. It's a graph with an x and a y axis, and you kind of chart where different people fall on that graph. Um, on one of the axes, I can't remember which one. On one of the axes, it's um, a future reading of Revelation or a past reading of Revelation. So there are some people on one extreme that says the book of Revelation is about future events that have not come to pass yet. There are some people on the other side of the spectrum that say everything in Revelation has already happened and they are and, and everything is in the past. Yeah, it's called it's called preterism. Preterism is the fu- is that the future one? Preterism is everything has already happened. Oh, that's right. Which of course okay. j- just so you know, preterism actually is is gaining more popularity now. Uh, you probably haven't heard that term, but you might have delved into some of that dialogue with people. And that's the idea that essentially if I wanted to help you understand it in an easy way, what people who are preteristic, like they buy into that when they read the book of Revelation, they're reading it with a with only with only yes. a history book in their hands. Yes. Then there's the other side of the coin, and that's kind of more of our the modern futurism. America. Yeah. And we, you know, I shouldn't say we, uh, those people that subscribe to that, only read the book of Revelation with their newspaper in their hand. Right. And so they're writing a lot of books and making predictions <laughs> about how. Russia, and then as soon as Russia loses power, how China, and then how China loses power, and then, you know, it's always kind of is shuffling the deck mm-hmm. on how they're seeing it. Yeah. Now, a healthy way, of course, is to to read Scripture in light of Scripture 1, like Pastor Eric talked about on Sunday, which is a very healthy way, but also to understand you got to know the history. you got to know the history. Mm-hmm. And then allow your curiosity, not a prediction, but your curiosity mm-hmm. to allow you to kind of filter life through yeah. the lens of scripture. Yeah. So that's great. All right. Sorry. Yeah, so that, that's one axis. You have the future view, futurism, and you have the past view of preterism. And that's a spectrum, right? So people can fall somewhere along those lines. There are some people to one extreme or the other. Then the other axis of the graph is some people on one extreme read the book of Revelation as if it were a coded message that needs to be decoded so all the numbers and images are codes that represent specific one-to-one correspondences with something else. And on the other end of that spectrum, there is the reading that, um, that the revelation is uh, not a code, but is a lens. I said theme. There are themes. But it's a, it's a lens. It's a pair of glasses that you wear that you can see the world with. So there's kind of the more like literal coded reading of Revelation and there's a more kind of metaphorical or thematic reading of Revelation. So on that X and Y axis, on those axes, people can fall in different camps. They can believe that it's a coded message that's going to happen in the future, so that'd be left behind. That's kind of the American way of understanding the book of Revelation, is that it's a coded message that we have to decode and all those things are going to happen in the future. There are some people who believe that it's a coded message and everything's happened in the past, so they'd be down on the other quadrant. There are people who believe that it's a lens 
Um, and it's not necessarily a code, so it's mostly metaphorical or thematic, but that many of the things are gonna happen in the future or happen in the past. So you kind of fall, you can fall somewhere on the graph depending on how you view the book of Revelation. So uh, that's kind of the main layout. So when we talk about the book of Revelation, many Americans are gonna treat it as if it's a coded message that is gonna happen in the future. That's kind of the primary way that people read Revelation. Um, I, I kind of want to hear from you guys, but I know in my own study, um, which has been primarily in the Old Testament, uh, I when I read Revelation, I see and hear a lot of images and references to the Old Testament. So that tells me that John is tapping into a more prophetic kind of way of thinking about the world, which is not necessarily coded. So I tend to fall a little bit more on the thematic, metaphorical side, which I think Lutheranism as a whole falls more on that side. Um, but I all, And I also fall probably more in the center, where I would say it's not necessarily something that's going to happen in the future or something that's going to happen in the past, but it's something that's always unfolding and that we can all we can look around and see it happening. That's kind of where I fall, but I guess I'm curious where you guys kind of have landed as you've done your own study and thinking um, and even your own teaching in your ministries. Uh, for me, <clears throat> for me, I, I think there's always a healthy balance in the middle uh, in most everything's in life, right? It's like a, with everything moderation type thing. Uh, so if you land completely in the preterist camp, you, you have some real heretical issues there. Uh, because built into the cake with preterism is the idea that Jesus has already returned. Right. And, uh, you know, if everything has been fulfilled, you, it leaves you in a weird, weird spot. And, and so this life, whatever is, is left of it, <laughs> kind of missed the, miss the boat, as it were. Of course, on the other, other spectrum, you just completely dismiss history. And so, you know, I obviously being in a Lutheran, Lutheran Church, specifically in the LCMC, which is kind of the moderate kind of compartmentalization of, of Lutheranism, we we deal in the in the messy middle or the radical middle, and that's where we kind of we kind of live. And so, we can take the best of all these things and try to understand them and, and then put them into practice. And we take the Book of of Revelation as thematic, uh, historical, some future things that that really we don't understand and we're comfortable with that. We, we don't have to understand all of scripture or make predictions about it. In fact, to make a false prediction about the future that does not come true just makes you a false prophet by definition. And so a lot of times if you're watching your Christian television station and that person is selling their next book, a good question to ask is, have they written a previous book? And if they've written a previous book that did not come true, guess what makes their prophecy, right? Their past prophecy would be false, making them thus, by definition, a false prophet. Mm. And, and so for a lot of those guys, the first thing I do when they're writing the next book is I look at their past book. And if their past book fell flat on its face, they made a false prediction they made a false prophecy. They, for are by definition a, a false prophet. And so I think, from my perspective, I think a, the healthy middle is to look at the book of Revelation with history in mind to see what historical things 
that John was speaking to a specific people in a specific time? What was he telling to them? What did they understand? What did they see? What did they experience that had already happened? Uh, what are the themes that are, are taught? What are the lens that we're seeing it through? And then being open to the fact that, that there is some future there, uh, but not being uh, wild enough or maybe even being humble enough to say, I don't know the answers and I'm not making a prediction. In, in fact, one of the reasons that I land there and I'm so hypersensitive about that is because hopefully later on we get a chance to dive into Matthew 24, which, which is a really, really great section of scripture that has been kind of massacred in our American mm-hmm. lens. And, and in that scripture, Jesus, no, Jesus, right? The son of God, God in flesh, he, he says that himself, he says, but, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So he's talking about a couple things there. Uh, but how we really understand is, is we do not know the day or the hour when the end will unfold. If, if Jesus himself wasn't making a prediction about that, and we're following teachers that are, mm. we're mm. running into some incredibly, incredibly dicey territory. Yeah. And so I, I think the best way to understand the book of Revelation or to understand the end is to know their history, look for the themes, and don't get caught up in predicting the future. What we do know and what we bank on as Christians is that Jesus will come back. It was promised. It was predicted. All of his other prophecies prophecies did come true. We know it will happen. It was proven by his resurrection. That's That's where our faith lies, is that this guy predicted his own death and resurrection, pulled it off, came back, right? That's why we believe. And so I don't need to get caught up in the weeds, and I'm definitely not going to be writing books about my own predictions, therefore setting myself up for failure. Uh, I believe that God has told us everything that we need to know, and if we need to know it, he's going to be clear and poignant, and and we're going to know it, right? Anything that we truly need to know, it's going to be clear. He's not going to intentionally leave us in the dark and make us find some secret code or have to have some special... uh, religious pundit out there to guide us in the directions that we have a chance. And so that's why I think that all three in healthy moderation is very, very helpful. So I try to take, um, you know, it's, I, it, it's funny cause as a youth pastor, uh, it's my job to take these huge words that you guys are saying and you guys are spouting <laughs> and try to like tell middle schoolers and high schoolers about these words um, and so, like, looking at the word, like, pre- uh, pre- preterist and uh, historicist and, like, using uh, those words, I like to go more of a, um, a clec- eclectic um, style, which is, like, kind of more modern, what you guys are saying. Um, and just when I really, like, look and when I really see, like, what Revelation is and what it and what it's trying to convey to me the reader one we need to understand that it's addressing more of the first century christians um would you guys say that that's that's true yeah that's the historical component like uh for sure you're talking to churches with very specific locales we're talking about we're talking about real churches in a real time with real issues just like our churches today so yeah 
but yeah but at the same time it's also telling us um it's also like addressing like timeless truths of you know good and evil and so like we can't just write write it off as oh well it's only speaking to them and it has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. us now Mm -hmm. Um, and so i think that's what you guys are saying when you guys are taking the more in the middle approach yeah so, yeah yeah i yeah. think so right. real dragons in yeah. real time <laughs> in real history <laughs> that's right yes. so obviously there's that's the thematic components yeah and we see those things all throughout scripture where where there's metaphors yes. used like we don't actually think that there's going to be a woman in the stars who gives birth, birth and right. a dragon and right. all that all yeah. that stuff yeah and the problem you know so uh and part of the problem is that Folks who adhere really, really closely to this kind of this like newfangled uh, futurist dispensationalist. I'm not being very charitable right now. Um, when people adhere to that, what they're doing is that they're picking and choosing what they're interpreting literally. So they'll interpret the numbers literally, but they oftentimes won't interpret the images literally. So they won't say that in Revelation, like in Revelation, there's a woman in the stars who gives birth to a son, like a, not an S-O-N, an S-U-N. And they'll say, oh, no, that's a metaphor for Mary and Jesus. But then they'll turn around and say, but the thousand years that it says that Jesus is going to reign is a literal thousand years. So they, they're kind of picking and choosing. They're, they, they're having it both ways. They're choosing the more crazy dragons and beasts and, you know, whores riding on top of dragons images and saying, no, that's metaphorical. But then they're taking the numbers and the, those types of things. And they're saying, no, those are literal. And they're taking the kind of disastrous elements literally. So it's this like weird, I mean, it's, it's American folk religion is really what it is. It really has no, oh man, I need to be careful. <laughs> uh, it, it has very little to do with how scripture actually tells us to interpret itself and actually tells and that what scripture actually says to us about the end of the world. Um, so I just, I really encourage you not to get hung up um, on the kind of left behind style. Those are really just Christian disaster movies and have, they, they have more to do with the disaster than they do with the, the Bible. So they're using the Bible and they're making essentially a final destination horror version of the, uh, the end times. It has really doesn't have a whole lot to do with what Revelation is actually telling us about the end of the world. Um, and I know that's not very nice, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm convinced yes. of that. Yeah, I, uh, I think for even those who subscribe and, and maybe are being challenged by this conversation, I think the important thing is to always be a student, right? E- even if I was in this room and let's say we had uh, a person from each spectrum of like, all millennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial. Obviously, that'd be a fun, fun conversation, a great collegial conversation. And I think anytime I get a pushback against my belief, my my natural posture, right, my humanity will always become rigid. Rigid of like I gotta go into defense mode. But a, a healthy, a healthy dialogue actually says, okay, this is a different viewpoint. And so I'm going to challenge, allow my viewpoint to be challenged, and I'm going to test it, right? Because if I test it and it's true, it will come back, it will come back even healthier, 
right? So if, let's say I'm listening and I, I, I'm really into the left behind, Timothy LaHaye type theology, and that's where I land. And, and that's, you know, there's a lot of great Christians out there who land there. It, now I'm getting pushed back. I shouldn't be rigid. I shouldn't put up my battle armor and say, okay, now I'm on the attack. What I should say is, okay, let me test. So, you know, I'm into a thousand year reign. So I should pull out a good cross reference and say, okay, if I'm subscribing to a specific real thousand year reign, first of all, I should be asking, what's the value of this thousand year reign? Right. What's, what's the point of a new temple? Uh, if, if Jesus is the, like Jesus templed among us, right? That's the idea. Jesus came. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. All those things that are put into play are all about Jesus. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the sacrifice. That The whole sacrificial system was pointing towards Christ dying on the cross, so it made sense to us, and we understood how the world worked. So, so when we get to that, we have to first start from, like, what is the, what is the point to bring it all back? What is the point? In fact, if we brought it back, it would actually become a counter-religion. Because if Jesus was already there as a perfect sacrifice, now we're putting our trust once again in, in animals, which is really, really, really weird. But it's all kind of predicated on this idea of a thousand-year reign as a thousand literal years. So if we pull out our cross-reference book, because we should, if we're going to be good students of the Bible, we always, we always interpret Scripture with Scripture, first of all. And so if we go and look at other things where a thousand years are mentioned, we see things like this. Like God owns a thousand hills and we see things like that. Does that mean that, that God is limited to owning a thousand hills? Uh, no, of course not. That, that, that right. word a thousand means unlimited, right. all. Um, and so if we take that scripture and then we say, okay, all throughout scripture, a thousand was pointing to the fact of not a thousand, like we counted them and there's a thousand but it's meaning the totality of everything, all-encompassing, then we see that when Jesus reigns for a thousand years, we're saying that Jesus reigns done. Yeah. It's over. It's forever. And that's why, as Lutherans, we, we take on that no millennium, meaning, in other words, God rules at that point in time forever, right? New creation, new earth. Jesus is in control for the totality of time. Mm-hmm. And he is the temple, right? In fact, if you read through the book of Revelation, all these things, it starts saying, hey, this is unnecessary, and this is unnecessary, and this is unnecessary. There's no sun because Jesus is the sun. Mm-hmm. Like these things, he's just kind of wiped them out because the whole point of these things were to point us to Jesus. And now Jesus is here. So if if you're feeling that tension of like, man, I've never thought this way. I've never seen it this way. You know, one of the best ways to start kind of re-engaging and, and testing and poking around is with a good cross-reference. Mm-hmm. Has this been mentioned before? What is it alluding to? And as we dive deeper into this, we're going to see a couple more of those things where like, oh man, this reference in Matthew was actually already in Daniel no. and this actually already happened before and now it's going to happen again. Jesus is making a prediction and it's and it maybe there's a a try prophecy where it happened once happened now, what maybe will happen again. We'll get into that here in a second. That'll make sense. But the, but I think the big thing is to be open to always exploring because here's the thing is that 
truth will always shine through. And it's okay to grow. It's okay to change. It's okay to adapt. But what it's not okay is to ignore truth or be in such a defensive posture that we don't allow God's word to continue to poke and prod in our soul because we had seen the world this way and now we're too scared to see it in a new way because truth is truth and that's where we want to land. Jesus is the word. We want to land where Jesus lands even if it has to shift the way we have seen the world for who knows how many years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And so that's where we want to land. We want scripture to interpret scripture. We want to be open to the process and always be open where to land. And I'll, I'll just give you some backstory of my own. I think this is where maybe this will be helpful. When I was early, early in ministry, and now we're talking, man, we're talking a long time ago, 18 years ago-ish, 20 years ago-ish, uh, I was scared to open my Bible And the reason I was scared to open my Bible is because I was serving in a denomination that was a great denomination. They were missional. They loved the Lord. They were serving the Lord. They were doing the best they possibly could. But here was the problem. Every time I opened up my Bible and studied, I knew I was moving further from that denomination, Mm. which means I was now a pastor, a minister in that denomination And every time I learned more about the Bible, I was moving further from that denomination, which means at some point in time, it was going to reach a breaking point. It was going to reach a breaking point that I couldn't, with good conscience, say, I can be a pastor within this sphere because I was not in alignment anymore. Therefore, I would would have been a thorn in the side of a church that was doing its best. And so that for my younger years, as I was learning scripture that way, it was making me uncomfortable because I was afraid I was never going to find a home that perfectly allowed me to continue to explore scripture or to go where scripture was leading me. Now, praise the Lord. I ended up in the LCMC. And for me, this has been a great home because there's enough space on the things that, that I don't have clarity on. And I don't think that anyone can have clarity on, but there, there is enough there is enough strong stances in those other areas where I can I have found a home where I can put my, my roots down. And so don't be afraid to let Scripture take you where it needs to take you, even if it uh, moves you in a direction you never thought, never thought you would go. In the end, the bottom line is this. We want to find truth where it lies. We want to follow Jesus where he leads. And sometimes that takes us in some different, uncomfortable uh growth areas in our life. Tim? I'm good. <laughs> ben, you came with some yeah. things to say, man. That, that was, no, I'm still processing everything I've been said. Yeah. Like, I'm going to need a minute. I'm going to need, I'm going to, I'm going to need like a couple days to process that actually. <laughs> good. Well, all right. So we've talked a little bit about revelation and as Lutherans, uh, we have this, this way of interpreting scripture. Um, it's kind of a rule of thumb that we use. That is, we say that the clearer passages interpret the less clear passages. So when we approach something that doesn't make a lot of sense to us in Scripture, what we try to do first um, is we try to let the Scripture interpret the Scripture rather than trying to add our own ideas or philosophies into it. So we use more clear passages 
to interpret less clear passages. And I would have to say that the book of Revelation is one of those less clear passages. It's one of those less clear sections of the scripture. And uh, it's very difficult for us as 21st century Americans to understand what's happening in Revelation and what's, what is happening at the end of the world. So what I want to do now is I want to give us a little bit of time to look at some of those more clear passages. Um, there are some in the Gospels, some in Paul, um, and I think that we're probably just going to look at a couple of them. Ben, I know that you have one prepared. I've kind of looked at one, uh, but I, so I want to have that conversation. But So let's, let's look at some of these more clear passages where Jesus talks about the end of the world. Ben, why don't you talk us through the passage that you have? Can you hand me my Bible? That's right. It's at the bottom of that stack. Sure. I mean, I've never, I would never put my Bible underneath other books, <laughs> but you know, that's a whole different Boo. respect for Get scripture. Here, this is my office. You can leave. <laughs> no, as we were approaching this topic, we, we didn't really have anything pinned down. We didn't meet, we didn't have a, you know, a, a big combat to, to start with and say, Hey, okay, this is where we're going to go. And this is the direction you pick this. All we were given was this. What is the end of the world going to be like? So actually, the, the first thing I did is I went to some, some really good words of, of some I call scripture. And, and when I was asked that question, I thought, that's great. It starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and airplanes. Jeez. And Lenny Bruce, he is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself, cheer, and world serves its own needs. Don't misserve your own needs. And Tim is thinking, what is this? Do you know the gospel of R.E.M.? Tim, are you too young for that? Dude, it's the end of the world. It's the end. No. So I was actually, I printed off the lyrics because uh, they move so fast, I don't actually know the lyrics. So I, yes. I was reading about that first part, actually, almost is scriptural. Like they might have referenced or had a, a, a church backstory as they wrote that song, The End of the World as We Know It. But. But I, I, I want to go to the book of Matthew with all seriousness, the, the book of Matthew, because as we take this lens that Lutherans see, and I, I think it's a healthy way to read scripture, a helpful way to read scripture, I want to go to the book of Matthew because you're going to see a different way to see this than maybe you've seen it in the past. And so a couple things that Pastor Eric has already used to kind of set the stage are really helpful. As Lutherans, what we what we try to do is we try to take the simplest explanation of scripture and let it rest there. Instead of twisting it and manipulating it and trying to make it make sense, we, we go to what does the word say and let the word say it. Then from the second way of understanding it is we're going to let scripture interpret scripture. And then a third helpful thing is it's important to know the history. So we're going to start with those three things and we're going to work through Matthew 24 really quick a section of scripture that people have script tortured, script to be honest, tortured. instead of like <laughs> used it well. And so we're, we're going to go there. So anyways, we have these three things, the simplest explanation, scripture, interpreting scripture. And then the third one is we got to know our history as Christians, right? That's very, very important. We have 2000 years of history. And if we don't view the scripture in that way, we're going to, we're going to miss some stuff because then we're going to only take our modern day and force it into that context as yeah. if as if Matthew was recording a conversation with Jesus to me instead of to these people and in, in this moment the disciples. So, first of all, let's give you some backstory of Lutheranism. It's really really quick. Uh, we really really value 
the simple. So it says it this way. It sounds like it's this way. It is that way. So, for example, when we deal with the Great Commission, he says, go into the world, baptize all people. So in our mindset, all means all. It doesn't say baptize all people except for black people, baptize all people except for poor people, baptize people, all people except for, you know, people who maybe maybe aren't as bright as you, right? Maybe they have some a handicap or something like that. It, it says all and all means all. And so we baptize anyone who wants to come to the font, black and white, rich and poor, young and old, right? Really smart people and people who have some limitations, all means all. And so that's, that's an example of that. Same thing when it comes to Holy Communion, right? It says, this is my body, this is my blood, right? We don't try to explain it away. We don't make it a metaphor. In fact, if we go to John 6, we see that he doesn't explain it away. He doesn't turn it into a metaphor. And so we take that simple understanding. So right away, we step into Matthew 24, and this is just this pivotal moment. And Jesus and the disciples are walking away from the temple they're overlooking the temple, and in this day, this temple would be like a wonder of the world, right? Just something to marvel at, something you would you would gather on the hillside and just stare at it. It was just amazingly beautiful. And Jesus starts using this as a teaching, a teaching time, right? They're looking over the temple, and he says, Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. All right, so he is talking about the temple. Now, Every Jewish person would fight to their death to protect this temple. Now, they had already lost. <laughs> they, they had lost a temple in the past, right? And they were not going to allow that to happen again. And so he's making a prediction that the temple would be destroyed. And they're thinking, nope, impossible. Because every good Jewish person would fight to the death. This, there was no way that this would happen. Of course, he's making a prediction that would be unthinkable. In 70 AD, what happens? The temple is destroyed. All right, so he's making this prediction, and I think every Christian, we land there, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got that. And so then he says this, and this is where the end time stuff comes in, right? At least that's how some people perceive it. He said, when, uh, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age, right? So this is the question. When is this going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? And when is the end of the age? Now, what he doesn't say is when is the end of time or when is the end of the earth? He's talking about an age, like a season of time. We, we know this, right? There's generations and things like that. So it's not the end of time. Now, this is where we'd start dividing. Some people would see it as the end of the world, as if Jesus is not talking to disciples anymore, but he's kind of like talking to disciples, but he's actually talking to us. And so then he starts answering and says, you will hear, Wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the birth pains, right? So he's setting the stage for the destruction of the temple. And I think Christians, you know, some Christians would say he's setting the stage for the end of the world. And I think obviously with that broad uh, swath of what he's talking about, of course, because there's wars and rumors of wars constantly. Uh, since Jesus' time all the way through now, flip on the news, you're going to hear it. There's going to be famines and earthquakes all across our globe at all times. And so it's helpful, but it's not kind of helpful. Then he goes on and says, then you. Now, this is where the simplicity of us just reading scripture, the, the way it's written and not trying to 
drum up something. He, he's talking to the disciple. He says, then you, right? He's talking to these guys, these remaining, these, uh, these 12 guys. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So he's saying, you're all going to get killed, which is another prediction, and everyone dies, <laughs> except for John. John dies of old age, right? And it says, the natural result is when the whole world turns against these disciples and the followers of Jesus, some will turn away from the faith, because of course, mm-hmm. when, when they're weighing uh, the value of being a follower of Christ and getting killed mm-hmm. and their family killed, some will turn away because they're going to see the world and the things of this world as more important. That's the ongoing battle is, are we going to pick Jesus? Or are we going to pick the world? Or um, is what Pastor Eric was talking about Sunday, right? Are we going to be branded by Jesus or is the brand we're going to carry, we're going to carry the brand of the world, the brand of Satan. And so that's the kind of the big, big takeaway there. So Jesus keeps going and talks about people turning away. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Once again, the world is going to start following the way of the world, and people will follow in that direction because the the gravitational pull of people going in that direction. And then he moves on. He says, in this, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And this is a great promise and prediction, is that the gospel will be preached across the whole nation. Now, when he's telling these guys this, not only is this a great prediction and a promise, but it's unthinkable because these are 11 guys who really have done very little teaching at this point in time. Mm-hmm. They put all their their uh, hope in one guy who was an incredible storyteller who drew big crowds. But even with that, how in the world could it spread? Now, of course, we're in a different time <laughs> at this point in time mm-hmm. with the internet and radio but we're still kind of waiting for this to happen where everyone has the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, mm-hmm. once again, on Sunday, we're going to talk about this. How do people who haven't heard yet, do, do they have an option? Are they saved automatically? We'll talk about that. So tune in. But we know that there's this, this promise by God that it's going to keep spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading. And then at some point in time, the, the end will come. The rapture will come, which, by the way, does not mean a secret coming. It just means Christ is going to return. That's what that word means. Yep. We've just created yep. and built in our own definition into that world, that word. So anyways, he goes on. So when you see, now this is important. This is where the dispensational uh, theories come in. So when you, he's talking to the disciples, when you see standing in the holy place, now the holy place is the temple specific where, where God meets man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Yeah. Okay. So once again, now scripture is interpreting scripture. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And then he goes on. He's saying, get out. And if you're pregnant, if you're sick, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder. He says, pray that your flight, right? Still talk, talking to the disciples will not take place in the winter or the Sabbath for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world, and never will be unequaled again. So just a horrible time. Something really bad is happening. Now, if you are Lutheran, you're going to understand this scripture different than somebody who's a, a premillennial dispensational, right? If you've read the Timothy LaHaye books, 
you would think that he's talking about a character in those books called Nikolai Carpathia. So this guy is the Antichrist. Now, in Scripture, you can look this up. It says there are many Antichrists because anyone who, who turns and teaches the gospel counter to Christ is, in essence, an Antichrist. So anyways, but in, in the Timothy LaHay books, there is a central character who's essentially Satan incarnate or Satan possessed. And he dies, comes back to life. And then what he does is he sits in the temple and plays God. Right now, now that's a, a storyline built into the scripture. But now let's go back to the scripture with what we're talking about. He's talking to the disciples, right? So he's talking to the disciples in about 30 to 40 AD, somewhere in this, this area, maybe a little bit earlier. And he's saying, you will see this. And then he points back to Daniel. Now, this had actually already happened. So this is one of these weird things in, in a biblical prophecy where they'll say things. And sometimes it's already, it's a, it's kind of like a historical prophecy where they're actually showing something that's already happened and they're pointing something that will happen. Sometimes they're predicting something that will happen, and then they're predicting something that will happen again. So in the book of, I believe, Isaiah, Jeremiah, one of the two prophets, they, they point to the coming of the, the vir, they're, they're pointing to the virgin birth, which actually is the birth of a child that happens in that day, and then also, of course, Jesus coming later. So this is kind of that same thing. Daniel is talking about this ab- abomination that causes desolation. Mm-hmm which in 160 BC, this is where our history comes in, right? So we, we take our, our Lutheran simple understanding of scripture. We know he's talking to the disciples and now he's, he's pointing back to Daniel. So we need to know the history. In 168 BC, there's a, a Greek king, which is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And so he comes into the temple. He puts up a statue of Zeus, right? A false god. And then he sacrifices, get this, a pig, in the temple. Now that would be an unclean animal sacrificed on the altar of God. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, mm-hmm. An unbelievable abomination. All right. So that's in their history already. Yeah. So we need to know that history. It's so important. And then we go forward. And in 70 AD, once again, Jesus predicted this. Now he's just kind of reiterating this. Then general Titus, the Roman general Titus comes in, destroys the temple, right? He destroys the temple, walks into the temple Remember, there's different layers of the temple. You cannot go in certain layers. Even some Jewish people weren't good enough to go into certain layers. So he goes right into dead center, destroys the temple, and then steals the stuff out of the temple. This is the abomination that causes desolation. Yep. Right? So this is this is happening. He's telling them when this happens, get out of Dodge because there's a persecution that's about to, to rip through. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens, exactly right? There's a happens. horrible... A horrible persecution against Christians. There's this big war going on because, like I said, the Jewish people are willing to die to protect their temple. The temple is destroyed. Jesus' prediction comes comes true. So, anyways, we're we're working through Matthew 24 now, and we keep going. and And so, anyways, he continues and he says this: For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be coming will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he's talking about how this, there's this general idea that when when Jesus returns, we're not going to know it. We're not going to be ready for it. There's no predicting. There's no, hey, on this date, in this year, this is going to happen. So anytime someone does that, that should throw up a huge red flag that this is a false prophet because 
we're not going to know. And then he goes and says, immediately after the distress of those days, so he's talking about the, this, uh, this horrible thing with the temple, the sun will be darkened. Right? This is metaphorical because if the sun went out, we would freeze to death. The moon will not give its light. Okay, The stars will fall from the sky. Stars are not nice little shiny things like light bulbs in the sky. They are full-on massive entities, planet-sized entities. If they fell from the sky and hit us, we would be decimated. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Right? So it's just talking about the horror of this, of this moment. And so then we go in and we uh, kind of see this, this come to a conclusion. And that's where we, we leaned into this already. Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so there's this duality here of that day that we're talking about, this abomination of desolation, no one knows, no one can give you the specific time. And also, there's a, I believe there's a duality here where it's also the return of Jesus is the same, same concept. So then he says these words, and these are so important for us to hold on to. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So when we think about the end of the world, the key for Christians is to, and we see in Matthew 24, is that we do not know when it will come. Which means if people are making predictions, you sh- that should throw up a big red flag. Mm-hmm. If people are trying to paint a picture for you, uh, it's theoretical, uh, and that should probably throw up a red flag. What we need to know and what we need to focus on is the same thing that Peter had to focus on when he was in the water. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And someday he's going to reach down and he's going to grab your hand and it's all going to be done done and that's when jesus's reign will be totally fulfilled because we will have the return of jesus we will have the rapture which is the return of jesus not a secret coming Mm -hmm. it is it is the end Mm -hmm. now once again it's the lutheran perspective and uh that's 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 how we see the bible it's not the only way to see the bible but i think as we work through that and as we take those three concepts into into uh, consideration of knowing the history, looking at it for what it is, not trying to to mess with it. We come out to the conclusion with scripture interpreting scripture that this is a healthy way to understand it. Mm-hmm. That we are not to get too wrapped up or too focused on predictions and prophecies and prognostications of our own or someone else's. Our job is to fulfill the mission of Christ and know that he is coming at any point in day and at any point in time. And so that's why reaching out to our neighbor, caring for our family, talking to our coworkers is so important because we do not know the day or the hour when Jesus comes. In fact, here's something really curious about this upcoming sermon conversation we're going to have is, is the question that we're, we're broaching on Sunday is what about the people who haven't heard? which I'm going to challenge people on Sunday. So this is your heads up. If you hear this and don't want to hear it again, uh, I guess this will be it. But <laughs> my, my question is, why are we concerned about people that we will never meet, but we're not concerned about people who are mm. right down the street? Mm. Bars. I, I did it again. Bars. I rhymed unintentionally, but then as I was coming, it was totally intentional. But And <laughs> no. that's, a, that's a big thing, bars, right? Bars. Bars. 
we we do have to put our focus on the people who are right next door. And we'll talk about what God was does with the rest on Sunday, uh, but we got to put our focus where our focus should be because the time the time is coming soon. Whether it's we get to a hundred and God calls us home, or tomorrow He comes back and the story is done. But when the story is done, the story is done. And so we've got to do our part while we wait. For you must be ready all the time for the son of man will come when least expected. Yeah, no, I was, so I was just following along Matthew 24. Um, and that like, it's, it's so much to digest through that. It's so much to, to think through. Um, and yeah, like Ben's exactly right. Like, why are we worried about these other people who we're never going to meet, who we're never going to see when, our neighbors are just chilling. (laughs) Um, And so that's, for me, looking through, um, it's just like, it it reminds me of, um, and just because we're talking about bars, reminds me of an Andy Mineo song. And and it says, you know, if you stay ready. You don't got to get ready. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and and, and really, like, that's really what what Ben is speaking to uh, is, staying ready therefore you there is no getting ready because if you're getting ready then like you're you know it's it, and, and the illustration that uh, matthew 24 uses is like if you know someone's going to break into your house then you're already ready right you know versus if you like if you don't have that security system if you don't have a lot that alarm system you're trying to call that alarm system as someone is breaking into your house. That's just not going to work out. Yeah. And this, and the scripture, you know, it's funny as I was looking through these scriptures and and they're almost frustrating, but they're frustrating because they're pointing at what you're talking about, Tim, is that we're always supposed to be ready. So it Mm -hmm. says things like, you know, when the end is near, people are going to get really bad (laughs) and and a lot of bad things are going to happen. And there's going to be famine and sickness and people are going to get into fights and people are gonna like hate the truth, and you know, so it kind of puts us on high alert. And sometimes that high alert makes us make some interesting, you know, guesses about the future. But if you look back, that's always been the case. That's yeah, the point. Always. The point is that always. any day, every day, we should be ready because it's going to happen. Right. And that's the intentional reality of scripture and the vagueness of it is just yeah. like like this stuff is always happening people are always getting to fights people are always hating the truth right. and, and so it's like any day every day it's going to happen there's always going to be hurricanes mm-hmm. there's always going to be fires there's always going to be famine there's always going to be sickness yeah and, and so you're right exactly right yeah. is you just be ready all the time yeah that reminds me there are two passages that i that i thought of as you were talking the first one is First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul says, I don't want you to be confused about the end times. And he says about times and dates, we will not talk to you. So he just, he just flat out tells this congregation, I am not going to enter in the conversation of predicting when this happens, um, which I think we should take that same approach. Where it's like we just we it is it is an example given to us uh, both in Jesus and in Paul that the times are not for us to know when the end happens and so that's my encouragement to you guys to kind of add to Pastor Ben's encouragement that like that's not what we need to be worried about and that is not what Scripture asks us to worry about. Jesus does not ask us to worry about the end times. The other, the other thing that I was thinking of was 
when Jesus, uh, there's another section, I can't remember where it is, um, but Jesus is talking about the end times and he says, in those last days, it'll be like the times of Noah. People will get married, be given to marriage, things will just happen. Well, if you know the Noah story, uh, the world was horrible at that time. And that's why the flood, that's why God sent the judgment of the flood onto the world. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying the last days are exactly like these days, which are exactly like the days of Noah, that the days are always the same. It's all the same. Humans are sinful creatures who are hopeless without God. And, uh, and so for Jesus, even in that teaching, it's the same kind of thing. Like, hey, things have always been the same. They will always be the same. Uh, so then Christians are called to be the people of God who are different from. We're, we're, we're called to be like Noah and his family, rescued on the boat. We're called to be like the Israelites who were a different people group. We're called to be kind of a different, a different group of people from the world. Because the world is going to be going into chaos and we're supposed to be the ones with hope. Uh, so I think scripture, all scripture kind of points us to a more like a resoluteness than a worry about what's going to happen in the future. All right. Thanks, Pastor Ben. You did a lot of the heavy lifting on this episode. And like, like you mentioned, we, we didn't even really have a plan. I, I just give these guys the questions uh, that I'm going to pose, and then we just have a conversation about it. So Pastor Ben came ready, and, and you had a lot of good things to say. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, but any other thoughts, closing thoughts before we wrap up our time together? Stay ready. You ain't got to get ready. If you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. All right. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you coming to us from Zoom. Thank you for thank you for having me um, so that I could still be involved. Uh, thank you for giving me something to, to do. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, quarantine is not fun and being away from work is not fun. Yeah. Um, it's like, man, when I get back, I'm going to have to do so much stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll get it. Thank you, Ben. No problem. So I'm just looking at my REM lyrics here, <laughs> deciding what I want to do with these now. It is the end of the world as we know it. We are currently in the, the last days. It is the end of the world as we know it. But I feel fine, and I am fine. We'll see you this weekend at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock for our worship services. And I uh, hope you guys just have a wonderful weekend enjoying your family or friends or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and we'll see you for worship.